might not be back. I might be in jail. I might be anywhere. But when I leave, you remember I said with the last words on my lips that I am a revolutionary. And you're going to have to keep on saying that. You're going to have to say that I am a proletarian. I am the people. I'm not the pig. You've got to make a distinction. And the people are going to have to attack the pig. The people are going to have to stand up against the pig. That's what the pastors are doing. That's what the pastors are doing all over the world. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Look how I'm living now. Police be tripping now. Yeah, this is America. Guns in my area. I got the strap. I gotta carry them. Yeah, yeah, I'ma go into this. Yeah, yeah, this is Gorilla. Yeah, yeah, I'ma go get the bag. Yeah, yeah, or I'ma get the pad. Yeah, yeah, I'm so cold like, yeah. Yeah, I'm so dull like, yeah. Woo, we gon' blow like, yeah. episode of Revolutionary Tracks, and today I think we're taking a little jump from strictly music just to into media and culture in general, and a very special guest with us is Trevor from Champagne Sharks. Welcome in, and thank you for, and also Media Maskets, excuse me, uh, doing two multiple uh, shows <laughs> like myself, but uh, welcome in Trevor, and thank you for coming. Yeah, thanks for um, having me. And also, if you want to check out Media Massacres, it's on Colin. So y'all are already on Colin. So definitely check that out, too. But yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad you guys had me on here. So it's, it's a crazy time right now to be alive. Indeed, indeed. Uh, and I should have uh, welcomed in and said my uh, co-host. What's up, Karthik? How are you? I'm doing all right. How are you, Marcus? I'm doing well. Yeah, you know, just, you know, spending my morning and uh, early afternoon staring into the abyss. Um, and so I, I, that's what I get to always enjoy uh, getting to do revolutionary tracks, usually because we talk about artists and talk with artists that are, you know, doing great things in the community. Um, but I think today what we're going to be doing with Trevor is it's just continuing to stare into the abyss for a little bit. Um, before we actually start talking about uh, <laughs> some some of the counters um, and positives that that can be created, so uh, we're, we're also like kind of staring into the abyss with uh, a little bit of a musical bent, or at least like a cultural bent in terms of like how we experience this staring staring into the abyss itself, um, especially as it pertains to like experiences of uh, news and media which is how i how we basically like perceive reality so um trevor i wanted to ask you uh, right at the outset to 
talk to us a, a little bit about you know your coverage of culture and uh, what your perspective is and uh, you know how do you base your analysis man i'm going to start off right now by saying uh, i'm very flattered you asked me on here and i feel flattered that you think i have a breadth of knowledge enough to tackle such a heavy subject because right now i feel confused as hell and i don't know really what what the answers are so i just want to give people a qualified you know disclaimer that i'm not going to be one of those guests that's going to come on here and just be rattling off authoritatively like i know what's what and what we have to do to save everything because right now i'm as much in question asking mode as anyone the buffalo shooting has me really um you know feeling i'm not gonna say hopeless that's too strong a word but feeling very uh challenged i guess i would i would say but uh to go more directly to karthik's uh question i mean my take on media right now is i feel like we are in a really kind of the most corporatist era of i think media we've ever seen where even the so-called like I feel like independent media right now is more treated like an aesthetic than an actual real thing. And what I mean by that is um, to use movies, for example, you look at something like what independent movies have become and independent movies is just a look or an aesthetic or a trapping, like starting with like Miramax and the Weinsteins, like, um, in an independent movie has the same actors as a so-called mainstream movie. It's the has a high budget, has the same levels of distribution and um, money and clout behind it. It just has like a look. And the same thing happened, I think, with so-called alternative music, where it's like from the 90s onward, alternative music just meant like a certain sound or, you know, like you kind of sounded like REM or you kind of had a hipsterish sound if it was the 2000s but um you know you could be as big as as anyone else but it's just um kind of an aesthetic like you don't actually have to be a scrappy little guy anymore to be considered um alternative revolutionary independent progressive and uh. i would say that i think that's kind of where our show uh, kind of comes from kind of challenge this idea that um a lot of the stuff that's kind of being fed to us as our progressive media, as our um, revolutionary media or our um, anti-establishment stuff is really just um, the woke department of a corporation, basically, just kind yeah. of co-opting and selling our stuff back to us. And I say that's probably a big thing that we try to do now is kind of poke holes in the idea that what's being served up to us as quote-unquote our media is not really ours anymore it's just kind of what a corporation thinks uh alternative or revolutionary or independent looks like and too many of us kind of buy into it it kind of feels like in which anyone's it's like work retail you get those uh those that music that every you know like every retail store pays the same corporation you know, and you can fr- change a few different styles, but, you know, like you're saying, it's like a, a lot of this, like, revolutionary and independent, you know, media, it's basically just the, that dial <laughs> on this corporate, you know, m- music machine. Um, oh, yeah. oh all, yeah, totally. It's all safe, you know? It's all safe yeah. enough to be played 
uh, as you're shopping for diapers. Yeah, and a lot of times the same company that owns the, you know, or signs the music act that's, you know, so-called revolutionary or or edgy is the same one that's uh, also signs the mainstream act, and they're just getting paid on both sides of the of the struggle, you know, basically. You know, it's kind of like how Urban Outfitters is. I remember back in the day, people thought like Urban Outfitters was some kind of um, edgy place, but they're owned by like, the same mega corporations that own yeah. anything else. Now, I guess too, it's like with you know the the the, the Buffalo shooting, and um, and that thing too is like reading the news today is there's also a myriad of of, of shootings across high school graduations. I think there was like three, maybe four over the past few days. Um, oh, wow. But, I didn't even know about that. Yeah, which <laughs> that's, there was some with, you know, when I streamed earlier, the, um, you know, some people in the, in the community kind of dropped the, some of these news articles. Um, but uh, with with the Buffalo shooting and, you know, this groundswell of, you know, accusations and finger pointing, um, you know, and trying to find of like, you know, and like Tucker Carlson, you know, is like, oh, this is responsible. And, you know, it's like, I think that's kind of done lazily, you know, just pointed like the most popular, like right wing pundit right now. Um, because this thing is much deeper, you know, it, it, and it's, it's, it's been going on for much longer, way, way more than, you know, the, uh, uh, the Tyson food air has been even been alive. Um, that even some of the you know re- great replacement narratives have have, have been going around. Um, so I guess you know I, I you know one of the you know things we're curious to get your opinion on is, is where do you see you know some of the media actually tying into you know more of the deeper right wing narratives um, like you know great replacement theories or you know other things. I think a big problem with uh, the people that we have supposedly representing us and i think it's part of the same issue that i was talking about with music film and whatever the the pundits that we supposedly have on a quote quote our side are basically you know people who eat dinner with um go to the same schools as you know intermarry with you know people in tucker carlson's social circles that's uh they're the same social economic class and i don't think they're really invested in doing the deep societal dive and introspection that would be needed to really um, get to the root of these issues. Because I think at some point it will require them to introspect on the systems of privilege and the status that they themselves benefit from. You know what I'm saying? Like, like they can't really, um, examine this whole shebang because they benefit from that same system of uh, systematic white supremacy and capitalism, you know? So, so I think it's an easy dodge for them to just use um, this type of action or this type of uh, tragedy as just kayfabe. as just some, as just a way to take cheap shots at, you know, their enemies and to just kind of, have it be, you know, red meat for their liberal NPR, MSNBC, mainstream, mainstream audience, you know, but at the, at the end of the day, like things like the great replacement theory, I mean, 
how different is it really than a lot of the um, fairy tales? Like, it, like, it, like it is like a simplistic glib fairy tale, but really, how different is it from a lot of the glib simplistic fairy tales that liberals, including liberals of color, say? Like, for example, there's these naive thoughts where people say stuff like, "Hey." Um, uh, we've fought for so much progress. Look at these Supreme Court cases. Look at civil rights, and everybody's intermixing and intermarrying. And then a couple of generations, this is going to be one giant color. Everyone's going to be like a mocha latte brown, and um, so like they have a lot of the same naive political beliefs as you know the Great Replacement Theory, except they just think that it's a good thing instead of a bad thing. You know, right. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, basically, I hope this answers your question. But, but yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Basically, I think the Tucker Carlson thing—it's like an easy dodge. It's nice. It's nice political theater, but it's not really going to solve the problems because a lot of the people that have been appointed as our spokespeople to solve these problems are as invested in these dysfunctional systems as um as the other side because they're all just planted by the same people. I know it sounds kind of conspiratorial and cranky, but yeah. No, we're all uh, about it. You know what I'm saying? Like, the, 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 like they might not be acting. You know, the thing too is like, like whether it's like they are conspiring, you know, are they in a room together saying, oh, this is how we're going to, you know, shape this narrative, <laughs> you know, or like this is just like kind of like the natural thing that happens, you know, under, uh, yeah, under a media that's just been pressured by like corporations for decades now. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think it's just something very important. I think they have a lot of the same incentives, so they naturally end up aligning more than you know being in some kind of room somewhere actively conspiring. You know, it's kind of like uh, the same forces and pressures and incentives are working on them, so they end up aligning, even if it's not deliberately and proactively planned you know uh i think it immediately brings us to the question of like because there is nothing uh, even pleasant about the experience of hashing out what needs to be done because what needs to be done needs to be done you know quickly because there is a there is an urgency here it's not like normal for a uh, any society to be like you know going through this level of uh, violence at a scale that's taking place and so immediately the question is i think like everybody's some immediately resorting to acting in a particular kind of way and like that's supposed to somehow solve the problem but um especially with respect to like the childish gambino track that we played in the beginning um it it was considered to be it, it's not like you know ending the problem but more so just like accurately uh seemingly like depicting it and that that kind of makes us want to ask the question um is there a way in which like such works such art or like music or films uh do they actually reach the people whom it's trying to appeal to and like uh it, there seems to be a sort of uh disconnect between being able to reach to reach across whatever the divide is itself in order to you know kind of um create any kind of meaningful change so uh I'm like basically left with asking the question of like is this art actually reaching its target audience or is it just like is is everything just like preaching to the choir right now Uh instead of answering that with a definitive answer I actually would like to add a question to it and ask it back to you and also 
to, you know, maybe some of the callers if people want to come up and call. But uh, you brought up like Childish Gambino and um, I'm in this kind of weird space where I'm actually starting to question if even the art itself is really like you're asking if it's preaching to the choir or not. And I'm kind of wondering, is it even really preaching anything like 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 I. Right. Like, for example, I'm watching the latest. Um, I'm one of those people that was kind of into um, what he was doing with the first couple of seasons of Atlanta and where his music was going. And he totally had me bought in. But it's like I'm looking at the new season of Atlanta and the commentary just seems kind of, I don't know, lacking or corporate or going through the motions. It just feels like a bunch of woke tweets now. And I'm wondering, like, did he change or did I change? Or am I seeing, was he always this way? And I'm just, like, seeing it clearly now. But, I mean, there's a lot of things now that I think I was, like, if you asked me my opinion on This Is America when it first came out, I would have been, like, very positive about the place it was coming from or whatever, even if I was skeptical about what you said that dilemma, whether it's just preaching to the choir or whether it's um, actually reaching people. But like, I don't know. Now I'm just kind of looking at things like, say, like Get Out by Jordan Peele, which I was really into when it first came out. And now I'm kind of turned off on Jordan Peele in general. Like He just seems like just another liberal um, yeah, so, corporate artist. Sorry to interrupt, but like watching the first, I watched the first episode or first season of like Key and Peele again, and it's like there is some straight up and like I keep refer- referring to you know Bill Cosby. It's like nothing to do with him being a fucking sexual predator, but everything to do with this this patriarchal stance on the black community of pull your pants up and stuff like that. You know, Key and Peele they play with that. You know, um, where as, as well where it's like. Yeah, like, what are you actually doing? Did you did you realize there was an audience for this art? You know, mm. or I or totally agree. Something? I feel so good you said that because I was worried that maybe what I was saying was not coming across clear, and you totally like mirrored it back at me. So, because I, I, I was wondering, am I crazy? You made me feel like a little less crazy. Yeah, totally. It, it, but, but you know what happened? Or, or thought, we're all crazy. Hmm? Yeah, both. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we're all just crazy. I don't know. But, but uh, you know, it's, you know, it's funny about that stuff, right? I did kind of think that about Key and Peele and a lot of the problems with you know that stuff. And I felt the same with Donald Glover and a lot of his weird stand-up. A lot of his stand-ups have some kind of problematic, regressive uh, views on on race and everything. But my thought was, you know what? People evolve. People grow. Um, so. I think this actually makes it more impressive that they evolved like this. Like something happened and they woke up and everything. But now I'm, when I see the work that they've been doing more recently, now I'm starting to think, okay, you know what? Maybe that original thing really was them. And what you said is the thing that happened. They just saw that there was an audience for this and they kind of Black Lives Mattered up their, um, their art because that's where the market was going. And, um, now they're kind of like regressing uh, to the mean or uh, returning, returning to form. Like you know, sooner or later the real you kind of leaks back out again, and it's kind of maybe cynical and um, opportunistic and commercial. So yeah, I mean, I mean, even the actual Black Lives Matter itself has proven to be a kind of self-serving disappointment. So 
it makes sense that the art that was kind of inspired by it might be the same way. But I wonder what other people think. Because, like, yeah, I mean. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and that's the thing. And, like, you know, like, I don't think you're saying it's just, like, but, you know, just to be clear, it's, like, there's, a, you know, like, a difference between the Black Lives Matter chapters and what they're doing that's from a decentralized, like, from a decentralized standpoint to the actual people who, like, started the, you know, <laughs> nonprofit organization and who have, you know, enriched themselves because of it and like Cadillac commercials and all that. Stuff oh like yeah. That. yeah so. I mean, I, I mean, I totally agree, but the reason I don't even care about making a differentiation that much anymore is because I didn't realize this until recently, but I spoke to the person who wrote the article and they have about single digit chat, local chapters left. I don't know if you know this. I, I only just found it. Yeah, out yeah, 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 yeah. They yeah, have like uh, about seven chapters left. So there's not yeah. even that many people to mix up. Yeah. With. Yeah, the national Which, order. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess it's like not even that. I guess taken away from the working with Don, but that's the big thing too. Is that you know, um, and I promise uh, Boston um, will stop being a masshole to you and get you in here. Um, but uh, I think the thing that like people didn't realize, you know, and I think that's like any type of left movement coming up is really it's like we're not reinventing the wheel. None of this shit is actually new, you know. So. Instead, you know, like Black Lives Matter is kind of coming up with something that could have easily just, you know, tied into um, a lot of local organizing that already existed, you know, more around like community control of the police um, and stuff like that. So uh, and that's my hope is that people just, you know, ended up going into organizations that were already there and already doing that type of uh, anti-policing, you know, or anti-over-policing, community control of the police. You know, that's that's what I hope. Uh, but, yeah, you're 100% right. Because, like, that thing, too, is that that's what happens when you've got a few people that, you know, tarnish the name of a movement. People to stop buying in. Um, so, all right, Boston, bring it in. I think you got to unmute. But it might take a second to actually connect and everything like that. But, uh, yeah, what do you got? Oh, and also the unmute button is on the bottom right. I, I always remind people that, too, in my show. Oh, word, word, word. I guess, and I guess we should have done a, how do, how do, how do we do professional call-in? Because um, me and Karthik, we mostly get lucky. Um, we're not actually good. You know what? While Boston is, uh, you know, figuring it out, uh, I'm going to say real quick, I think the Black Lives Matter um, itself, the national organization, is itself actually an example of what I was just talking about with um, – that the, that the establishment now provides both options now. They provide the mainstream or establishment option in, in art, and they also uh, provide you your so-called revolutionary option or your so-called <laughs> alternative stuff. And they're the activism example of that because uh, there's something strange now to me where I find like even the people who used to be the so-called rebels or outsiders or whatever are as much taken by mainstream acceptance and popularity as, you know, so-called mainstream people. Like, for example, to use hip-hop as an example, I remember how when among hip-hop circles, if an act was too popular, there used to be a cause for uh, skepticism, you know? But now, if I go on a hip-hop message board, this new generation will argue rappers. Instead of arguing about their lyrics, they'll argue like, well... Drake has this many hits and this many Grammys. I'm like, wait, this is the most unhip hop way to discuss hip hop ever. To discuss it by right. who has the most mainstream acceptance. And I feel like that was happening with Black Lives Matter when 
everybody was on board with it. There were people who uh, were skeptical about it from the beginning, like uh, Darren Seals, rest in peace, in uh, Ferguson. And a lot of people would say, oh, you're just jealous because they're going to get on all the award show and all this stuff. And these are other black people saying this. I'm like, wait a minute, why are you judging how good Black Lives Matter is or isn't, or the, how good D-Ray is or isn't, by how much rich white people and corporations and whatever like them. Like, like all your things in defense of them are the exact reasons why um, you should be kind of skeptical. And then I think that's a big problem too. Like, like not only are the corporations and central places giving us the options that are both the establishment options and the anti-establishment options, but a lot of the so-called um, outsider fan base or whatever kind of accepts the idea that um, the leftist or the radical or the pro-black option should be a celebrity. Right. So one of the things that uh, you highlight here, uh, I guess like Boston got dropped, uh, but uh, just to, just to add, add this thought, like one of the things that you highlighted is basically um, how they, the things that they say is still within the realm of a form of acceptability um, and just by doing a literary analysis of their lyrics itself, and that's probably why, like, you know, you're not paying attention to the lyrics and the content, uh, or you're overanalyzing it and you're making it seem more complex when it's like much more straightforward or even campy. Uh, in, in the case of like Kendrick Lamar, like a lot of, uh, conversation goes around like how much he, he's, his is a work of genius, et cetera. But then, um, it's, it's not particularly like insanely great. It's just like good, you know, and, and like we, we had a hip hop historian, uh, come in, come in and, uh, break down exactly like giving 15 other examples and saying that, like, you know, these are all, uh, kind of more proficient acts of hip hop, uh, which are not being prioritized by the mainstream because that's not something that they want to actually care about. Um, but especially in a space where like people are clearly, you know, a little, not, not necessarily political, but like they're showcasing a form of political sensibility, like an aesthetic sensibility that you, you know, highlighted when you uh, started talking. Um, I feel like right now there is a, an aesthetic tendency that is uh, of a political nature that like there is an affiliation that uh, you like showing off as your like politics and therefore you will listen to certain artists and like in certain sort of ways and stuff like that. Um, I don't know if these kind of distinctions are so set in stone that there is no way to reach across like these kind of barriers. Like somebody who's listening to uh, Childish Gambino might never want to check out like somebody who's listening to a country artist or something like that, or somebody who's listening to a country artist might not be interested um, in like even paying attention to Ch Childish Gambino simply because of their uh, musical aesthetic preference as well as political sensibility. Um, so I wonder if there is a way to reach across this or because there is a barrier uh, to reach across here, uh, but also there is there's some there seems to be some sort of like uh, institutional barriers as well. Um, what do you what do you think about like, you know, in, in this sort of ecosystem, how would you envision there is a possibility at all to reach across um, these divisions? One quick thing I would say, then I'll pass it to Doc because I don't want to, you know, hog up the mic on a call-in show. But um, one, th one thing I would say is that I think the 
let me back up a little bit. I think a big problem with the climate in general is that people are very much looking for affirmation or validation. I think in a level that we've never had before, just because of the very nature of how entertainment is delivered. And what I mean by that is right now we have social media where you can just create a bubble of just people who think like you in a way that was hard to do before social media. Like before, um, for example, if you were to say an incel or if you were like one of these uh, extreme people, you had to go find people in your town who thought like you. And you can redo that very easily. So a lot of times you either uh, just became some kind of hermit, some kind of crank, or you just um, had to learn to conform to a certain degree. But now, no matter how niche or quote-unquote weird your interest is, you can find a million people who think like you and get the illusion of, you know, community. I mean, like, and there's all these new communities are coming up, like furries and all these different things that, you know... So, <clears throat> sorry, getting over a case of COVID. But, um, yeah, so I think it's got, gotten people used to being able to create these bubbles. Like, like even watching TV, when you used to watch TV, I remember when I was growing up, because I'm a little older, um, you used to have like one or two TVs in your house, and you had to learn to share the TV with other people in your house. And everyone didn't have a TV in the room or a TV in their pocket through their phone where, you know, mom watches one thing. If I don't like what mom's watching, you know, dad's watching something on his phone or a tablet. I watch something in my room or on my computer. So you just kind of just learn to be exposed to things that you maybe not weren't really your cup of tea, you know? Um, like my sister would watch soap operas after school and I would have to like sit through an hour at general hospital to get to my cartoons or something like that. And yeah. that's kind of our whole society. Uh, I mean, I mean, you used to have to, I mean, I'll give you another example. And people who are like probably older than 35 will know what I'm talking about. But uh, for anyone in the room is over 35 or even over 40, I'm sure you remember watching something that was totally not made for you, but you just watched it because you didn't have that much choice. Like um, I was a black kid growing up in New York but a lot of us would watch the Golden Girls and enjoy it and laugh at it because, you know, it was on TV and you didn't have 100 channels to watch or 100 albums to stream or whatever. And you just, and we were able to enjoy it, but there'd be no reason for a black kid into hip hop in New York to watch a modern day Golden Girls. You have a, a thousand hours of content uh, in your pocket or available to you or streaming that can just keep you watching what you primarily like. And I think our political opinions have kind of become that way too. Whereas like, I think it was easy for someone who might not be into a certain message to end up being exposed to it because they just didn't have that many options. And then they might sit through something that maybe they weren't naturally predisposed to. You have to listen to the radio and hear things you might not want to hear or whatever. And maybe something would touch you and, turn you around but there really is no reason for you to sit through 10 seconds of anything that you don't instantly like or instantly affirms you so i think that's a built-in obstacle that i think we have to reaching outside people like i'm busy uh one hour deep into a youtube algorithm that is funneling me more and more into 
anti-SJW videos. Uh, where, what space are there in, in my day or entertainment regimen to, you know, accidentally sit through a revolutionary uh, piece of content or whatever, you know? Even if it somehow accidentally got to me, I don't have the attention span anymore to even uh, get sucked into it. I'll just click it off right away and click onto something else that keeps me down that rabbit hole I was going into. I hope that answers uh, yeah, the no, question you're trying to ask. That's yeah, like absolutely. Important. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, the things are like what's, a, yeah, as you said, a, a difficult obstacle with uh, what's going on now and everybody just doing whatever, they, like having the option. Because, like, yeah, same thing where it's like, I remember we had one TV, right? And, like, that's why, like, you know, it was like, what was it, like the TGIF stuff, right? And, like, the, the Family Matters and all those type of shows, you know, they try and do a little bit of everything um, to entertain the family because, like, that's really all that's it, right? The news comes on afterwards and you go to bed. Um, but, Doc, if, uh, yeah, unmute in the bottom right. Peace and blessings, everyone. Yeah, on that uh-huh. point. Uh, hey, how's it going, Doc? Good, thank you. How are you? Welcome, Welcome you're back, Doc. Coming well from COVID. Oh, thank you. Appreciate definitely it. get some uh, vitamin D. That would help, definitely help you out. Oh yeah, yeah. I've been but, popping uh, vitamin D and drinking a lot of tea. It's, it's been helping. Thanks. Uh, so hopefully, you have a speedy recovery. But on the point that you're you're making, um, you know, as a kid, you're watching. Uh, kind of paraphrasing um, the quote from James Baldwin. You know, you're watching those cowboy and Indian movies, and you're cheering on and the cowboy and wishing you're the cowboy, but in the end you're, you know, you see you're, you, you, you're, you are the you know native American being oppressed in this country, but you're cheering on the oppressor. So it, it's almost a, as a form of indoctrination as a child, when you watch these type of um, films that glorify, you know, American imperialism that glorifies, you know, um, Anglo domination and it gets ingrained in you. And so that's where these levels of indoctrination happen, you know, where you have, you know, people, you know, full on, you know, they're people of color, but they're full on, you know, patrons of white supremacy. And so that's where it, 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 Yeah, I, I think that's very true. But I think something that was great, too, was that it would work on the bottom as well, as in, like, you know, that um, colonial subject child or, you know, that... Um, oppressed or marginalized child is subject to this indoctrination by up top. But in the counterculture, a lot of times that child of privilege might be unwittingly exposed to something really edgy, something political and, you know, punk rock, hip hop, something anarchist, something uh, counterculture, uh, like like hippie, um, anti-war stuff. And there used to be some kind of mechanism that, you know, on the bottom and on the grassroots would kind of work as a balance to it. And I feel like we've kind of lost that. No, exactly. Sticking to the grassroots because I mean, all, all American music is, you know, black music, rock and roll, techno, all its, its influences have, you know, the creators were, you know, black artists, but then they get commodified and, you know, taken over by, you know, white artists. And that's where in the end capitalism corrupts everything, unfortunately. So it's kind of where, you know, like a prime example would be in my mind, you know, Jay-Z, you know, for him coming from up from the streets um, in New York and then, you know, being a multi-billionaire, you know, that's a, you know, American dream. But in the end, 
how much um, damage he's doing to his own community. You know, for example, how the way he sold out Colin Kaepernick um, and then, you know, his investments that he has in all these different uh, corporations and, and businesses throughout the world that are exploiting, you know, black and brown people. So in the end, it's just... Uh, is trying to find a method to kind of deinvest from capitalism to be able to really, I think, cement your message if a way to be able to kind of capture that revolutionary um, spirit. Yeah, it's, it's something with Jay Z that, like, when uh, he was in that meeting, he's like, he told the NFL owners, like, "Oh, I think we're past kneeling." I was like, "Fuck yeah, we're past kneeling." Oh no, you meant. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was, it was bad, but it's like, you know, <laughs> coming back to Black Lives Matter, you know, you know, the spirit that was caught, rightfully so, after the murder of George Floyd and how that was co-opted, again, by capitalism. So, you know, you have these organizers that had good faith, but then once they started getting a taste of the money, the power, and that's where you see oftentimes these movements uh, kind of fizzle out. You know, the the OG movement that comes to mind with me before Black Lives Matters would be, uh, um, you know, the Pan-Africanism with Marcus Garvey, you know, the sentiment of trying to, you know, go back to your roots, go back to the homeland, better the homeland. But in the end, you know, it was just one giant grift in the end that um, led a lot of people astray. And that's where you can, you get these groups, um, you know, that celebrate the demise, like, Right now, with Black Lives Matter, you have all these right wingers, you know, pointing to, oh, you know, they have multi million dollar houses. Where, where are people really getting substantive change from supporting this? And so that's where you see where people can get picked off and get dissolution from trying to be revolutionary. I mean, at the end of the day, it seems like uh, all around uh, there seems to be just like a an indoctrination into a bourgeois-directed uh, se- sensibility, right? Like, the whole time, like, I don't I don't feel like these things are coming from the com- from within the communities just by virtue of their circumstances alone. Uh, it seems to be, like, guided and uh, corralled by uh, people at, not necessarily at the top, but, like, basically a network of individuals who seem to just know each other, as you pointed out, Trevor. Uh, so... On the one hand, like we're kind of having to expect um, these individuals because they're the only ones who get to uh, do this in the first place, that they would do the right thing, um, not to dig spikely, but like, uh, but that they would do the right thing. Um, and otherwise, like you don't really get the message across at all because nobody who's in the community actually has the platform for it or, or the the opportunity to do so. Um, so like one of the, the other tracks that we wanted to play, uh, is, uh, Marcus knows Marcus was the one one that, uh, picked that track, but basically the song by Lupe Fiasco, um, called the end of the world. And it was branded basically the Occupy Wall Street anthem. And the reason I wanted to introduce it, uh, although Marcus picked this track is because I heard of this song only now. And like I have actually followed Occupy and I it, it was news to me that it's the anthem of the Occupy movement. And so if it didn't, you know, like and I'm not like faulting the song for not reaching me, but like, you know, uh, if people would not be, you know, even aware that this song exists, like how do we even get the message across uh, for a more positive um, 
politics or like for for a more positive political engagement the people united will never be defeated and all the people's might just forever be repeated new streets our streets that will never be deleted no matter how many cops that you send to try and beat it huh this is revolution in the making a red tag movement set to take over the nation that isn't that fun we just want to make the world better isn't that young well blessings to the youth then and don't stop until they let the truth in and once it's there never let it leave and protect it they catch it and never set it free I never said it's free bless when tears no place around the beat so it's occupied wall street all day all week this world is this world is this world is this world is now i feel like he maybe should have used a longer increment of time than a week but um, <laughs> here we are. Here we are. No, and that's the thing, though, is that I think, um, and this is something that we constantly have, have kind of like an issue or not necessarily an issue, a realization that we come to quite a few times on the show is that um, sometimes art is a reflection of reality. Um, but I think what we're trying to get to is art that drives, the art that motivates um, and and yeah, you know, <laughs> just reflecting on, hey, this happened, you know, um, maybe, it, yeah, it's just not the song and like, hey, it's catchy, right? It's a bop, but it's not something that's really driving a movement. Um, and, and you know, it's nothing against it. It's just kind of taking it as this. That's not a hot enough take, but we can bring in the next caller. Um, remember the mute, it's uh, the bottom right. I sound info. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing good. Thanks for calling in. Uh, thank you for allowing me to share some thoughts. Uh, I, I want to make two comments. Uh, one related to the theme of the, the room and also another related to some of the discussions that's been had so far. The first is about the, this great, great replacement theory and, um, the way in which it's been talked about. And, and one of the things that really bothers me about uh, this topic is that it's really sickening because, number one, the great replacement theory is not a new phenomenon, as, as you discussed, but I, I see it a little bit differently. There's always been this sort of fear, fear-mongering around great replacement theory. It's been directed at Italians, Jews, etc. But the reality is, is that more often than not, these folks who are considered to be these usurpers end up becoming white in the United States. And it's laughable that right-wingers fear people that are going to come and replace them when what history has shown us is that these people often end up picking up the mantle of anti-blackness and white supremacy. So they get to scapegoat them on one end, but also benefit from the fact that there is a right-wing tendency of groups to align themselves with white supremacy once they come to the United States across the board. And I'm, it's interesting that I, I've never really seen any sort of real interrogation of that aspect of it. And my second comment is about um, looking for meaning, looking for activist energy in music. And I think that we live in an era where we're sort of in a middle period 
for those of us who are old enough, we're still looking back at cultural expressions of the last 15, 20 years and, and longer in terms of popular music. And we hope to see some sort of spark within contemporary music that represents that revolutionary fervor that's been experienced in the past. And I just, I think, and, and T's heard me say this before, I'm kind of beating a dead horse with this, but I think that that's really the last battle or the, or the, or the last war. We're in a period now where music, television, film doesn't necessarily carry the same weight and it shouldn't be expected to carry the same weight that it has in the past. And I don't know what the next thing is. The next thing may be completely disengaging from media. The next thing may be, you know, some variation of uh, VR, AR, who knows. But I think trying to match what came before with what's going on now and, and find parallels, I think, ends up distorting the conversation to a large degree because it, it's, it's just simply so different that I, I don't think it's useful to compare the two. So those are my two comments. Word. Yeah. I know. I was. I was gonna. I was gonna say um, the great replacement theory is um, like I sound info says. Not only you know very old. I mean, there's the book "The Passing of a Great Race" by Madison Grant. There's um, <clears throat> the rising tide of color against uh, world white supremacy by Lothrop's daughter. I think that was 1920 and whatever. But if you go back even further, I mean, one could argue that the Romans, to a degree, had a fear of, like, you know, being replaced by all those barbarian hordes. There's always been a narrative of, you know, the people who can't be assimilated who are going to take over. But I think the, the main... I think the final boss of it all is uh, black people, as in, like, you know, physically we're seen as the most opposite of whiteness. And I think there's just this fear of us as black people as the most unable to be uh, assimilated. And I think that's kind of what makes it. Um, I feel like right now, Latinos and Muslims are kind of, and different types of brown people are kind of testing the board is even further of, you know, what white people will be willing to accept um, as white in order to keep their numbers high and to have a force to work against, you know, black people. But <clears throat> let's say somehow that last unassimilable level, that final boss, black people could be assimilated. Let, let's say that was possible. And, you know, they started accepting like biracial people as, honorary whites and you know they even like full-blooded black people they started saying hey you know um if you're willing to assimilate and act a certain way we will let you be white then who is left to otherize you know like without black people for like, like, like it's not enough to assimilate people into whiteness you have to have something for white people to direct their hatred toward because if not, I mean, if you look at the history of white people before there were non-white people, they were fucking each other up left and right. I mean, it was a horrible time for um, white people. If you go back to the concept of before whiteness even was a concept, you know, <clears throat> before there was an other against which whiteness could contrast itself and, and whatever, um, Europe was was horrible. They were all just into warring or whatever, and to a large degree, non-white people 
helped create this, helped give white people something to contrast themselves against and also a common cause. Something, a lot of what we see of, what we see is white solidarity is really kind of held together. The glue that holds that together is uh, racism and being against people who are not white. And anti-blackness, I think, is the strongest um, glue. And if, I think white people to some degree realize that if there were no black people or non-white people in general, all the mistreatment that we get, they'll be doing to each other because that's what it was like before there were non-white people. They were enslaving each other. They were subjugating each other. They were um, murdering and exploiting each other. And I think similarly, if everybody was able to be assimilated into whiteness, it would still kind of be a fail um, because once everybody is under the umbrella of whiteness, that's another way that people will go back to just fucking each other up again. Um, so uh, I'm basically agreeing with ISON info, but I'm also adding like the extra level, layer of they kind of need an outsider to be afraid of because without that, uh, white people, I think on some level, realize they'd just be fucking each other up um, in the way that they're currently fucking up non-white people because that's kind of what it used to be like before there were non-white people. Yeah, we've had a conversation with uh, Dr. Gerald Horn, and uh, he, he made a point to that effect where um, uh, he was saying, like, the Dutch were kind of like the last of the colonials to get it, like, to get whiteness. And they're, like, very still, like, you know, anti-English, <laughs> anti, like, any other, as they give not Dutch at all. But I see also, too, like, that, those those remnants still kind of play out to this day. Um you know, I saw with with uh, you know Russia uh, invading Ukraine and the you know this large you know mig- uh, migrant of uh, or movement of refugees. The UK was like, "Nah, those are you like? No, we're not. <laughs> we're not letting them in." You know, um, and it's like it kind of just harkened back to yeah this time period of you know where it's like oh those those are Slavic people, those aren't white people, you know. Um, but I don't know if like even like the monarchy is like kind of one of the things that allows that remnant of yeah we're not just white there's some type of ethnicity that 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 goes against it but largely they want you know get along um, and uh, yeah without that counter of like actual having black people and that's the thing is I think there's like it's with some of that with Iceland uh, as I was saying it's with with Latin people you know with Latino people there's a there's a, 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 sub, a subject that is white and then there's a group that is black and so you know regardless of of, of you know <laughs> whether it's like immigration like there's just some people who will be able to assimilate you know uh, like one of the most famous nazis right now has the last name fuentes you know mm-hmm. that should allow us to to under, have some understanding of how whiteness actually works um so yeah, I think I think even if you I think there's like two factors of assimilation and one is the cultural obstacles like you know uh, white people always argue about which cultures are the most foreign in values and temperament to you know white culture or so-called western culture or whatever and that's you know very arguable but you know then there's the, the physical um things like for example uh white or 
very light Latino, you know, <clears throat> in a generation or two, you know, the, the genes can be totally absorbed. But there's this, I think, idea in the in the minds of um, a lot of white people that black, even phenotypical, genetically are just uh, a non-starter as far as being able to be uh, assimilable. You know, like um, white people will end up just looking too physically different if you were to try to physically absorb. So, yeah, I mean, I think um, there's a lot of ways in which we're just kind of like, like I, th I think they fear that trying to assimilate us physically would be the one challenge too far. And then this kind of new so-called uh, mocha latte new race would, you know, at what point, you know, it's kind of like um, Theseus ship. You ever heard of Theseus ship where this, this thought experiment of if you right. replace uh, one plank of a ship, one, one piece at a time. At what point is it considered a, a, a different ship? And I think they kind of feel like that phenotypically. Like, you know, how far away from the physical uh, stereotypes of whiteness can you get and still call yourself white people? Although I, I will say that one dimension of this is also not just who's allowed to be white, but who allow, aligns themselves with whiteness. There was a recent Pew Research poll that showed that 68% of the Latinos who responded to the survey identified as white. And it's not just about, you know, perceptions on one side. I think it's, it's perceptions across the board. Anti-blackness has allies throughout the various races. And there are people who want to see themselves as white, who want to align with whiteness in order to get away from being on the bottom rung. I mean, the classic, I know black poppy, even though you look black. It's funny, but also there's a sort of sick truth to that. Yeah, and I think um, it is something that we can understand. It's like the desire to not be the other, um, to, you know, to, to like the desire to prove, you know, <laughs> that, yeah, you don't belong in a completely subjugated class. Uh, but, you know, I think the correct answer, you know, I think we're all in agreement here is like, there should be no subjugated class, right? Uh, but uh, if there must be a subjugated class, make it the owner class. Uh, but uh, I don't know. I saw the info if you had anything else or if you, had, or if you wanted to add something. Yeah. Uh, we also wanted to say that there are a couple of, now there's one more uh, caller who is added into the this. but like, we'll try, I'll try to be quick. Um, the point uh, that I also want to emphasize here is like, we're, we're speaking from the standpoint of like behavioral and cultural um standpoints i feel um but it, it must be emphasized of course that like this is um economically designed uh, in such a way that like um the the there is there is like a benefit for a small group of people who if they if they organize society in this sort of form then they get to make the most money that they can and uh i kind of among the takes that i appreciated uh hearing in this in this period um, is like where uh, people were actually pointing out to the to the financial incentives that they have in organizing society in this sort of form uh, in addition to the you know the age-old historic um, kind of tracing it uh, at all points in history uh, but also it's kind of important to see it uh, that it, in the present day it is incentivizing a small group of people um, and keeping their pockets like uh, it's it's basically fattening their wallets and we can need to pay attention to that. Um, but uh, little Lisa, do you want to 
get on the call. Yeah, hello. Um, my The thing I wanted to say is kind of circling back more to what we were talking about or what y'all were talking about with um, just like the success and failure of like revolutionary music or consciousness raising like music, whether it be Kendrick Lamar or Lupe Fiasco. But um, before I get to that, when y'all were talking about the great replacement theory and all that, I think that um, specifically when it comes to like Latin folks, I get frustrated when there's a kind of like this understanding, at least like, Oh, the Democrats are losing a fucking Latin people because of like machismo in the community. And I think that kind of betrays like, like I'm sure that's true to a certain extent. I'm definitely not the person to ask about that, but I think that there's a failure to understand like how colonization actually worked like throughout North America, Central America and South America. Like, I don't know. I think the consciousness around colonization um, in America, in the United States, I mean, is like very much isolated to, like the 48 contiguous states and like doesn't really think about Canada, doesn't have a real full grip on Mexico, at least like as a product of like a California public school system that um, that is definitely the consciousness I wound up with until like I expanded my brain beyond that. But um, I think that like, if people had a better understanding of how demographics actually worked and like how like, white passing Latin people get to benefit from proximity to whiteness, there would be a better understanding of like how certain politics are playing out. Um, Oh man, you saw a great example of that with the whole predictions about Trump. Like so many people were so convinced of Latino or Hispanic as being some kind of race of of non-white people. And then when the results started coming, and so many um, Latinos were voting for Trump. People were kind of surprised, but it's because they didn't understand the idea that Hispanic or Latino is not a race. There are different countries and different class levels and different races within. Some Latinos are black. Some Latinos identify as indigenous. Some Latinos identify as, as white. And they're all different socioeconomic levels. And it was kind of shocking at how at such a supposedly enlightened and progressive and late stage, so many people still had such a simplistic glib view of what Latinos actually um, are. And I think that's kind of what you're touching on. Yeah, absolutely. And it's um, like, I think that there's uh, at least maybe this is just because my politics are changing and I continue to move left, but it feels like there's a greater consciousness now around like, indigenous issues and indigenous movements both uh like especially in south america right now and um i mean there always have been this a lot of this is just like oh wow i'm I'm learning all these things so it must just be that these things are like uprising and getting bigger and i'm sure that the truth is somewhere in the middle but um it's exciting to um see these things become more popular at least from my perspective um and i hope that brings like a better consciousness around like what it actually means to be a latin person to like white folks in the general population at least in america um what i think one of the more insidious like examples is uh anna navarro who is you know i think on the on the view 
you know, a, a news, you know, like a, I think like a CNN, um, but she lifelong Republican. And, this, you know, she herself states that, you know, she is a proud daughter of a Contra. Yeah. And, you know, like that is, you know, saying like my dad banned babies and I'm proud of that. You know, my dad was part of a fucking coup of a, you know, a democratically elected government, and I'm proud of that. But that's what it takes, right, to say I'm white, right? Like, look at look at my yeah. I look at my like look at my gener genealogy of doing the colonial thing, right? Hey, we're friends, right? And so, um, I don't know. Yeah, that's something like I don't think people really like really see. You know how this stuff this stuff really works. Um, definitely. No, I have a, go ahead. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I have a question about like, uh, and this has always been. I mean, this comes from a personal place as well. Like, I read poetry, and uh, you know, it just like the the very standard uh, question that I had to ask was like whether if I said something in a poem, if if it would be published, and uh, b uh, if it if it would you know communicate the right ideas. Uh, in that order, like that you would first care about it being published. And then the second would be like, what are you trying to say through it? And is it going to get across to the reader? Um, and like the question is like, basically right now, how real are you allowed to be? Uh, because there is a reactionary element that is so supercharged and extremely uh, politically active, even though it kind of like uh, pretends as if like it's losing power. And that's the kind of like shtick that seems to be the case where uh, the reactionary element, uh, especially in the United States, like seems to suggest that like it's actually going out of power when it's like really raining um, everywhere, like in, in more uh, serious ways than, you know, it lets off uh, in these circumstances, like how straight up can you be with the the listener uh whatever your form format like, like whether you're a podcaster whether you're a, a hip-hop artist whether you're a filmmaker uh, or a you know singer songwriter whatever you are um how you know like just can you can you be um as explicit about your analysis as possible um or do you always have to kind of you know portray a certain kind of nuance uh, quote unquote, which is uh, to like basically not take a position at all, as uh, Trevor pointed out earlier. I um, I think the question you're asking, correct me if I'm wrong, is like how palatable do I have to make my art to white people in order for it to reach people? Yeah, I mean, like I guess uh, I had to I had to circle around that like for a little bit in order to make the point itself, I guess. But like, yeah, I mean, it it feels a little weird to even say it because like I also speak from the point of view of someone who's um not of this culture and like trying to comment on it. And I try to be conscious of that, I think. Um, and I wonder, I mean, like, this is something that like, you know, not everybody uh, who gets to comment on this gets to be as uh, conscious of themselves and like the kind of impact that they're having um, as I hope I'm trying to be. Uh, but yeah, definitely that, that was my question. And like, that's also a question I would ask uh, Trevor. I, I mean, I mean, when I was on, um, the bad faith podcast last week, it was a big discussion about, uh, what is, how, how do quote unquote, we fight, um, Tucker Carlson and his messaging and all this stuff. And one of the things I was trying to say was like, first off, all these structural 
reasons why you know we're kind of it's kind of rigged for us to lose you know just the fact that um the opposition is spread out across like so many different shows and so many challenges um, so many channels the so-called liberal view and he's pretty much like the only game in town saying you know on his side of the equation so he naturally gets a huge audience because all the people on his side go to him but you know on the opposite side the audience is split among so many people. And and that was like, I thought one structural uh, impediment to forming a cohesive message against him. But the second thing that I was trying to say, and I think it ties into what you're trying to say is um, on that side of all the people who are um, situated against Tucker Carlson on one side, they're all like the most lukewarm, um, sympathetic to capital um mainstream democrats slash liberals you can you can imagine and i was kind of saying that the bigger problem that we have is that anybody who could effectively go hard against tucker carlson or whatever is not even going to get in the door it's not even going to be allowed to get a a seat at msnbc or cnn or anything, and I think uh, that's kind of our bigger problem. It's not about how our leftists or radicals or um, anti-racists or whatever going to be able to properly message against Tucker Carlson. I think it's more how are we even going to get platforms or heard or you know in the door to be even in the place to be up against a Tucker Carlson. You know what I mean? Because um, the mechanism you describe of how you almost have to portray yourself as sympathetic to capital, as sympathetic to whiteness or whatever, to even get in the door as an anti-establishment voice makes it so that anybody who's a real threat or anybody who's a real force is going to be filtered out long before um, they get within spitting distance of the of the mainstream. So yeah, I mean, I think it's a depressing thought, but I th- I think if your goal is to get a big platform, it's so rigged against you to get that platform. Um, if you're not advertising that you're sympathetic to um, at least liberal main at least liberal centrist whiteness, you know, and and capital and corporatism you know what i mean i totally agree with you um trevor i think that uh like msnbc and fox news create content for each other it's a really great deal for both of them um they don't want to have that relationship disrupted um yep and i'll also add that's my i'll also add the kind of person that they're keeping out on msnbc and um cnn because of what you just said lisa is also a threat to them. They're, if they let them in, they're gonna. It's gonna be like letting the wolf into the um, hen house to the, in, in their minds, right? Like, because like, um, the ammunition that they're gonna use to take down or go against a Tucker Carlson, uh, they're gonna catch strays from that in their mind, you know. So it's almost better for them to have Tucker Carlson as a foil than to have um, that fox in their hen house of, of the leftist or the radical. Yeah, and um, and this is where the thing is too is it's like even someone where like like John Stewart, 
you know, like not and I like, like <laughs> definitely not the most left celebrity you're gonna find in the world. Um, but there, you, you see this type of dance played like a few times where he actually spoke to you know had like had his you know like Tucker and you know whatever other guy that was on this you know political show. And it is kind of it like it, it is laughable how nonsensical these people are, even with just someone who's like a little bit progressive. You know, if they let like a left populist, if they actually let you know someone who is intelligent and on the left, like I mean, that's the thing too. Like, it wouldn't be catching strays, right? Catching strays means you know that's not the target intended. Like they would be. They would be the target as well. Great point. Because, great point. <laughs> that's uh, that's kind of the same thing. But, Bravo. Uh, good. Good point. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and uh, I don't know, Lisa Simpson. If you had anything else, we can, or if we can move on to the next caller. But yeah, the only other thing I wanted to say just about, um, like when y'all brought up Kendrick Lamar and Lupe Fiasco, that I was thinking about is like a huge part of like my angst. Like I, my parents are like fucking orange county style republicans so my teen rebellious phase was like listening to kendrick lamar and like thinking i was edgy which was like fundamentally not true but i think that like with like the white gaze on black media there uh for me me you cut out for 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 a chunk i don't know if it was him for everyone else. yeah yeah cut out for us too yeah, yeah, I'll repeat that. Sorry. Sorry. Repeat the last uh, five seconds. Yeah. Uh, around the time you said white gays and media is where it cut out for me. Yeah, sorry, I got a call and I had to decline it. Anyway, um, but yeah, I think that there's like a huge appetite for not what I would call like uh, among like the white gays upon like black media and brown media. Like there is an appetite for a consciousness that it's like thousands of miles wide and like millimeters deep. It's like, it's not that I don't think that like folks like Kendrick Lamar, like he is talking about like real issues, but like he's not for the, for the, uh, for the unwoke listener, like people are not getting any like depth and they're getting this understanding of like, I actually know what's going on because I consume this media and that's revolutionary. And it's like, no, 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 that's not, that's not enough. Um, but like by the same token with Lupe Fiasco, like he did an interview where he talked about pedagogy of the oppressed, pedagogy of the oppressed. And like, I ended up buying that as a 15 year old. And so it's like, if you are moving, <laughs> It's it's not nothing. Like it's it's definitely valuable. It's just like such a matter of like where an artist goes with that and how they want to move their audience. And um, anyway, like that's just like what I would throw in there as a person who like thought they knew what the fuck they were talking about because they listened to to pimp a butterfly and like that's just not <laughs> how political consciousness works. Yeah, well, thank you for calling in and uh, you know sharing your your your, your political journey. But no, I want to. I want to. Yeah, I want a quick observation about uh, Lisa uh, between the name Lisa Simpson and uh, and the bloodshot eyes Lisa Simpson uh, avatar. I was very surprised by your voice. I thought you're gonna have like a more of a stoner type of uh, <laughs> uh, shit poster <laughs> voice. Uh, 
I got surprised by this very professional sounding <laughs> voice. As, 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 as you, a, can be, you can be surprise. high and, and professional. Trevor. Yeah, exactly. Be, very, yeah. very impressive. Yes, definitely subject to change. I may call in at a more stoned out time. So <laughs> I might have that privilege, but thank yeah, you. Yeah, I'm, Wednesday I'm very, is 8 p.m. Yeah, I'm very impressed by the range. <laughs> oh, thank you. All right. Nice to chat. All right. Thanks, Lisa. Lit Lisa. Um, he wrote two, and hopefully my pronunciation is on with that. Hey, how's it going, Hiroto? Can you can you hear me? I think we can hear you now. Yep. Yeah. Uh, sorry about that. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was just gonna just point out that um, it's kind of a little bit back, but uh, have you guys ever read the book uh, "The History of White People"? I have not. No. Uh, yeah, I have it, but but you recommended it to me in the in the past. Yeah, um, yeah, because it's talking about like whiteness, like you know, uh, it. I think that there was um, it's not even real because they go back to like the Greeks and people that weren't even like white, and they so like when you know we were we, uh, we're thinking about like people entering entering into whiteness and stuff. Like I think that uh, drawbridge like was lifted um you know quite like quite a long time ago because you, they have to fit themselves somewhere into the fantasy of this kind of like celtic nordic greek roman stuff you know like so um so it's it's kind of like baked into the system so i think yeah this kind of uh concept that people think that they can appeal even appeal to to whiteness in in a way um you know it's 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 like a, a fool's errand because it's or it's already it's already decided in this kind of like fantasy thing that they've made like they they're like larping like they're like elves or something like seriously like they they they, they really believe that that there is something to to um to it all but it's it's actually something that has been constructed quite a long time ago if that makes any sense and i, I just really recommend that that book um I never read that book, but it sounds like um, these two books would be a good um, complement to the point the point you're trying to make. In addition to uh, the, in, into the history of white people. Oh, well, first off, I think people should know the title in case they want to. I mean, the author in case they want to buy it. I think I think it's Nell Irvin Painter who wrote the history of white people, right? Yeah, yeah, she got some videos yeah. on YouTube as well. If you Google her name. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, uh, the history of whiteness, uh, by Nell Irvin Painter, and she also has videos on uh, YouTube. But there's these two um, other books. One is called "The Possessive Investment in Whiteness: uh, How White Pe- How White People Profit from Identity Politics," and there's another one called "The Wages of Whiteness" by David um, Rodinger. And both of them are kind of about how um, white people particularly like uh, poor and working class white people, a lot of them are as invested in the concept of whiteness and identity politics um, as anyone else is. And, you know, the idea of identity politics as something that is mainly uh, propagated by non-white people or weaponized by non-white people is a major blind spot or sticking point with people on the left. Like, you know, they're always lecturing non-white people to give up and stop clinging, you know, kind of how Obama says, you know, about people 
in in so-called redneck places give up their religion and guns and i feel like a lot of um white leftists are always trying to tell um marginalized people to stop clinging to their identity politics but you know these books make, make a very strong point that uh white people are as invested if, and not in some ways more invested in um race being treated as real than um even non-white people are because um a lot of the times they can always say well at least i'm not white i mean at least i'm not black or at least i'm white you know and they will actually uh choose the intangible prize of whiteness over more material things you know if it if it means that they're going to lose that advantage of being able to say that they're white in a white supremacist society you know what i mean yeah and i think i i believe that I, I can't even remember who it was with uh quote to the effect of you know <laughs> poor white people were will endure you know all sorts of hell and poverty as long as they can say they're not black yeah exactly um, and it even you know harkens to a um a quote from uh, Napoleon, you know, in regards of like the, the, the atrocities and hell that, you know, men will go through um, for a pretty strip of ribbon. Um, and, you know, that's, uh, <laughs> I guess, partly, you know, human nature, but then like you know, going into this, like this, this sense of race, whiteness, and those things leveraged to have, yeah, people support it, um, but then also act in its, in its name. Um, even when it doesn't necessarily benefit them, the idea okay. that it does is, is, is enough. Okay. Yeah. And I feel like a big problem with a lot of white leftists is um, they take the idea of championing, um, you know, working class people, including white working class people, um, which is a, which is a, you know, admirable goal. Uh, they use it to go a little too far into kind of romanticizing and that leads them to kind of having a blind spot to, you know, what we're talking about right now, where they don't even want you to even say that that's a thing, that there, that there are, among a lot of white that, working class people, that type of attachment to the identity of, of whiteness. Yeah, I think that's um, that's like the, the, the pushback against settlers as well, um, which is what oh, makes yeah, me like the book example. even more. Um, but yeah, and like in, in, in uh, there's another book, um, it's a bit dry, but it's uh, The Social Dominance uh, theory book and it's a really good um they 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 write they share like a uh, a kind of i don't know a parable whatever called vladimir's paradox you know like um so basically you know basically uh, really quick like so uh god or whatever go, goes to, to this guy vladimir and he's like yo bro i'll give you anything you want like money you know land anything i'll give you like dead up i'll make you a, a hundred feet tall bro like i'll give you anything um but but your neighbor will get twice what you get. So like if you get a million dollars, he'll get, he'll get 2 million. If you get, you know, a million acres of land, he'll get 2 million acres of land, etc. So Vladimir, he's thinking, taking mad time. And then finally he's, he's like, all right, God, take away one of my eyes. And I think that is where we are, like where, where, where we've been, you know, because his neighbor's going to get both his eyes taken out. He's going to be blind. And I think that's, uh, where uh, the, the, the United States is always going to be in that paradox when it comes to um, black people and, uh, and the, the, the majority of, of people. And I, and I think 
now, you know, people trying to enter into whiteness, like this new uh, white Hispanic um, identity that's just trying to shift into whiteness. Um, they're going to make sure that they're going to take out one of their eyes because, you know, the deal is that, yeah, the, the people that they want to be under them are going to, you know, get, get both their eyes taken out and be blind and just be, you know, uh, shit out of luck, if that makes any sense. I mean, I, I think, like, it's a good point. Uh, and because, uh, you know, I think one of those eyes is, like, the colonization through, you know, the global south. <laughs> like, right, like, that's the eye that gets removed and it's some people who get to walk around with uh, gold spoons and, you know, both eyes walking around. But uh, we are going to close it up with us pretty soon. Uh, at least Carly's going to have to go here pretty soon. And Trevor, I'm not sure how much time as you do got, but uh, Carly wanted to set up this next track before he gets it. Yeah, I mean, uh, basically around, along the lines of what we've been talking about uh, and how, like, uh, in popular culture, you don't really find uh, people artists who are actually able to or willing to be real with people and uh, this is like you know not to romanticize an era or an individual but to uh, hi highlight content where like somebody is both artistically as in creatively as well as uh, in terms of political expression able to hit the nail on the head um, and how we could use uh, more articulation like this in the present day um, to both like understand and better relate to what's going on present mocks us. Good black people with keen memories set fire to the bastards who ask us in a whisper to melt and integrate. Young, very young, teeny bopping revolts on weekend young, dig by proxy what a mental ass kicking they receive through institutionalized everything and vomit up slogans to stay out of Vietnam. They seek to hide their relationship with the world's prostitute, alienating themselves from everything except dirt and money with long hair, grime, and dope to camera hide the things that cannot be hidden. They become runaway children to walk the streets downtown with everyday black people sitting on the curb crying because we know that they will go back home with a clear conscience and a college degree. The irony of it all, of course, is when a pale-faced SDS motherfucker dares look hurt when I tell him to go find his own revolution. He wonders why I tell him that America's revolution will not be the melting pot, but the toilet bowl. He is fighting for legalized smoke, a lower voting age, less lip from his generation gap, and fucking in the street. Where's my parallel to that? All I want is a good home and a wife and a children and some food to feed them every night. Back goes pale face to basics. Does little orphan Annie have a natural? Do sluggos kinks make him a refugee from Mandingo? What does Webster say about soul? I say, you silly trait, motherfucker. Your great-grandfather tied a ball and chain to my balls and bounced me through a cotton field while I lived in an unflushable toilet bowl. And now you want me to help you overthrow what? The only truth that can be delivered to a four-year revolutionary with a whole card, i.e. skin, is this. Fuck up what you can in the name of Piggy Wallace, Dickless Nixon, and Spiro Agnew. Leave Brother Cleaver and Brother Malcolm alone, please. After all is said and done, build a new route to China if they'll have you. Who will survive in America? 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 And yeah, that was Yeah. That's some, like, hard-hitting shit that, um... Yeah, once again, like it harkens back to a time where like this type of of 
I mean, people were tuned into uh, the avenues and the mediums and where they could receive this. Um, <laughs> or in some cases, that was just what's on. Um, it may have radicalized some people. Um, but I, I feel like we're kind of moving backwards, too, though, because I, I like Kendrick Lamar's um, Summer's recent albums, but nothing he's saying to me is hitting as hard and direct as things like that, Whitey in the Moon, you know, uh, Revolution Will Not Be Televised, et, et, et cetera. But people are reacting and overreacting to it like it's the most revolutionary thing um, yes. ever. And you guys just described a recent uh, episode with a hip-hop historian who brought up all these examples of things that, you know, were more revolutionary than than that. And I totally, I totally agree. This is not a diss on Kendrick Lamar. You know, it's more about why is the bar so low now? You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, that's like, when we had that, you know, uh, talk, like we started out with saying it's like, as far as just like the, the, the mechanics of Kendrick Lamar's music, yeah, you know, sure. You know, like, it, it, very, very good, right? The guy can can rap the music that he gets and is able the producers that he's able to work with the samples that they're able to make or get you know 10 out of 10 you know if you're just listening to like this like the style of music sure this is good you know but what does he say you know that that's 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 important what is he actually saying um and that that reaction is is, is something that is like drove me a little up the walls, like because every little thing is like, oh my gosh, Kendrick's like the most outstanding artist in the world, and it's like this is it's just not true. It's just not true. Um, 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 I I was talking about. I've been trying to kind of formulate this thought into um, an article or whatever, but I I. I've been trying to develop this, this this framework of what I think the problem is with audiences now, and I th- I feel like a lot of people don't spend enough time analyzing the evolution of actual audiences. I feel like audiences are very different than audiences in the past, and that a lot of people don't kind of realize the extent to which the audience is changing the art because that the audience is what elevates, and I feel like audiences are kind of more willing to be challenged in a way that audiences now um, aren't. And maybe part of it's because of what I was saying before about they never grew up having to deal with anything challenging because they were always able to construct these kind of aesthetic bubbles for themselves where they could keep out anything that wasn't instantly gratifying uh, to them in a way that previous generations couldn't. But um, I had come up with this acronym called uh, SAVE that, you know, audiences want to be saved, which is... uh, they want to be seen. They want to be affirmed. They want to be valida- validated. They want to be empathized with. And if you don't do those four things, if you don't quote unquote save them, um, they kind of tune. They, they kind of tune you out. And I think that's probably the big difference with the Kendrick Lamar is that uh, you know he's talking about these things, but he he more works in a therapeutic way. Like I think a lot of people are like, oh, what he's talking about. I feel that that's uh, he's mirroring my feelings to me. He's validating my um, feelings and people even want the revolutionary stuff to kind of make them feel affirmed or be therapy 
uh, to them at the end of the, at the end of the day, and I think that's a big problem with um, revolutionary music. Really, like what we had in the past, really popping off. As I think uh, a lot of people tune out something that you know doesn't really make them feel good about themselves first and foremost. Yeah, some of that's that's challenging, but I'm definitely gonna take that into account on how they grab grow. Uh, my own audience and uh, make money so that I can become a capitalist. So, uh, yeah, I just wanted to uh, kind of uh, to choose this moment to tune out. Uh, I'm going to let the next caller in, but I have to go. It's been a pleasure, Trevor, uh, talking to you. Oh, but I, oh likewise. Uh, thanks, for, um, thanks for having me. Oh, no, my, my pleasure. Uh, you can carry on, Marcus and Trevor, and like we have the next caller. Uh, yeah, and, and Trevor, if we've got time, you know, we'll hear out David and... Um, uh, you know, probably can jump off of there. Okay, sounds good. Cool. Hi, guys. Hey, David. Thanks yeah, for thanks, David. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Um, so, yeah, I kind of wanted to chime in on uh, the subject of revolutionary music. And I also wanted to talk about um, the subject matter of uh, the whole white replacement theory, you know, craze. Um, I, me, I used to listen to Immortal Technique. Um I, I do to a minimal degree this time around. Um, I think he's been out of the loop, you know, for quite some time. We wanted to hear his music, but um, last conversation I had with someone about his music, uh, they pretty much directly slandered him, saying that he raps like um, he's reading from a Wikipedia entry. And I'm like, I'm a bit taken aback by that, but it's like, you know what? Um, there is a truth to it, like music being too preachy, um, but if you want direct, direct confrontational music, you're going to have to deal with that type of, of, of verbiage where they're telling you exactly what the crime is and point to, pointing to where the injustices are. Um, and I, I have a friend of mine who's like, uh, he's going to a Rage Against the Machine you know, show this, this summer, and I've been waiting on them for a long ass time to, to put out an album. I'm like, what's up with them? You know? Um, yeah. I mean, for one thing, I think with like the the critique of of a you know immoral technique sounds like you're rapping a Wikipedia page. Like I challenge someone to rhyme a fucking Wikipedia page. Like go ahead, try it out, see if you make it sound good. But exactly. you know, uh, but that's the thing. It's like some of the things too. It's like a stylistic thing. You know what I'm saying? Um, I think you know, like looking at someone like No Name, who's had a, a, a arc with their art. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know that's a fucking hard to say but uh you know they're no name style is no name style they're still making mm-hmm. the same type of music what do they right. say though right and that's mm-hmm. the thing is like some, some of the stuff is like if you don't like a moral technique if you don't that means like then there's just other styles of rap that you should probably not engage with because yeah. you know that's sort of it's like someone's like a moral technique that's just like he's he spits fast that's just it you know, right. if if you don't want to hear the machine gun, don't go to the range. You know, like, I don't know what to say with that. Much. No, I hear you yeah. on that. Yeah. Um, also, about this uh, white replacement theory rhetoric, um, as far back as I can remember about the subject matter, um, I think it was at, right after the death of Nelson Mandela that I used to be a, a freaking, like, uh, observer of, like, 4chan. And like to point out how his legacy kind of is fucked up because of, oh, leading up to his uh, release from prison, like 
all these bombings from the ANC and, the, and this and that. And subsequently, after years after his presidency, there was like crimes against, uh, I guess, white farmers that are being this um, hunted down by, you know, gangs of black, you know, hooligans, whatever the fuck. And I think there's a through line here that I think is very important here, and that is uh, material wealth. And eventually it's going to lead to this Tucker Carlson thing that the way in which he speaks, right, it's, again, I have to kind of back up Brie on this thing. It's like I didn't feel like she was trying to, like she was trying to run cover for him, but mostly point out that he's using coded language and still using it not, well, at certain points, like, like recently, uses coded language to really disguise what he's saying in which he's being like, uh, how, do, how do I say the word? Um, he was being like race neutral. And I, I did see that. I did try to see that he was trying to be race neutral because his idea of American culture is, well, whiteness is the default like uh, signifier for American, right? And his rhetoric involves like is rooted in nativism in which it's all about uh, the possessive nature of, of what we're entitled to in this country. Like, it's all about, it's not really like a replacement, but rather a um, dispossession of white people that is uh, concerned only about. And she also pointed out that um, his uh, white replacement theory might be, you know, contradictory to, his, uh, to the idea that Maybe immigrants are, that they come to this country that believe in the American myth are maybe supportive of our traditional values and which party is more likely to represent those traditional values? Republicans, right? So it, it kind of comes off as a cut your nose to spite your face type of deal that if you're trying to limit like the scope of, of, of assimilation, right, and trying to get into to become American, right, then you're not going to deal with a lot of, a lot of people that are gonna help you like win the next election. If that's what you're gonna say, it's like, well, I don't want these people in my country because they're bringing in diseases. But all this to me, I think it's a red herring because when I read all this like um, bitching about what she said about being triggered by a headline, oh, it's Tucker Wright, this and that. Um, that same morning, I, I, read a, I read an article, right? About BlackRock. Uh, which is the largest uh, asset management company in the world, almost like 10 billion, 10 trillion, I think, in assets, right? And they're buying property left and right. And uh, a lot of uh, news corporations aren't talking, Tucker's not call, uh, talking about that type of replacement. I find that as replacement theory. That's a replacement fact, if you ask me. So uh, what is this culture thing, like culture war thing doing besides distracting us from the, from the, uh, real issue here, which is just how capital is being weaponized to, to, to basically take that path to material wealth, whatever you, if you still believe in that American myth of owning a home, which still has value, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, say that, say that I, that I agree, but I mean, with, with the latter stuff, I just didn't watch the actual, um, thing that you were talking about to say whether I agree with um, Rhea or not. I don't know if you saw it, Marcus. 
Yeah, because I, I, you know, I, I guess like I hate, I hate the clip type of thing, you know. Uh, so I ended up watching the full segment, and I think yeah, a lot of things that were ended up being clipped were not really giving you know the the, the full sense of it. I, you know, um, my and to be and, and to make sure, this is the one that she did with Irami Osei Freepong, or the the one she did on. On the on the rising, this the did. rising one. I saw the other uh, rising. They saw the segment on on rising that that okay the few okay. And I, I didn't get to see it. I didn't get to see it yet. I was planning to see it over the weekend. Okay. Well, and this is I think like some of the parts is is, is not exactly you know fair. At least not, not my interpretation of 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 what she was actually saying. I think part of the issue though is that, and and maybe where Bree is is kind of failing is that. It's not in Tucker's goal to give factual information. I think for some people who are not, you know, like for the people who are not listening for the dog whistle, you know, they may be fooled to think that, oh, hey, these people are coming, you know, you know, people are immigrating here and it's changing the demographics and the Democrats are going to win, you know, but, and then pointing out that, that that's just not true, you know, um, yeah, that can be beneficial for people who are not buying into that rhetoric for the racist, you know, uh, reasons of where it actually started, you know. And so that's 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 where it's, uh, that the limit of of the, the the response with oh hey this factual statement I don't think and that's where I think the failure of of the of of kind of like the segment that that in my 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 view was that it doesn't really point to how Tucker helps normalize the actual you know directly white supremacist and racist uh radicalizing um uh propaganda because you know that's it's not so much that uh it's not, you know like yeah the the the, the brook you know, the, the buffalo shooter it's kind of unlikely that like that you know the 18 year old kid is sitting and watching Tucker carlson you know like oh hey every fucking nine of fox boom right you know it's it's, it's unlikely right it's that Tucker carlson gives it breath so that everyone around this fucking eighteen-year-old kid either ignores or buys into the rhetoric that he's getting from Fortune, um, and so yeah, you know, I think it's a little bit more, a little bit more nuanced than just what like Bree was kind of giving. But you know, uh, you know, I don't know. I do think people were kind of doing a little bad faith with, with that clip. It wasn't. I don't think it was exactly the, the full context of. I mean, come on. I mean, basically, like, oh, she's kind of a provocateur. Just like she's lining up with Tucker. I mean, come on, man. It's like, just, just, just stop. I mean, yeah, yeah. No, and I, I, I disagree with that line. You know, um, but I do have my own separate issues with the segment in general. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, I don't know if I'm fence sitting, but that's just how I see it. You know. Yeah, I, I mean, it's like she has a podcast of her own to do it. And I think, I think your your co-host, I think, was in it. And it's like, um, I think you was the one, Trevor. You're the one who said like not to get in the mud with these people and rather argue the substantive issues. That uh, oh oh yeah yeah. I mean, I was basically saying that you don't always have to present or defend against every premise that they present you with. But you know, uh, so sometimes you sometimes you have to like sidestep the target that they give you because sometimes just engaging in even the hypothetical they're giving you uh kind of validates the conversation period but a lot of right. 
people just can't resist because they want to show how smart they are. Exactly. I think it's yeah. just like they're trying they're trying to like egg you on and to try to prove, you know, play their game of prove how am I racist, you know? But Again, I I heard uh, previous to my call, I heard that uh, Gil Scott Haran saw right, and I think it's like again, it goes back to um, what you know, what's the through line here is is material wealth. What you know, I need some, I need a home, I, I need something, I need something to, you know to be taken care of. Whereas uh, your idea of politics is just uh, kind of like delves into the debauchery of it you know, like individualism. And I don't know, I, it's, it is, we, we, we all kind of want the same thing, but like, we're kind of like going different directions to get it. You know what I mean? And her, you know, ideological project is, is different than other people, but it doesn't mean that they're collaborating with the enemy or anything like that, but like trying to make the messaging more palatable to them and not make them so like ostracized. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And that's funny with Brie is that uh, something about it just short circuits people's brains, and it's just so um, funny. And it's almost on, on both sides because some of um, her fan base can be like super, like you know, rabid, uh, you know, on her side, and then her enemies yes. can be super rabid, you know, uh, against. And I have no idea what why that is. Why so many people lose nuance. Whenever she she opens opens her mouth, you know it's very it's very bizarre. Yeah, for me the thing that in like yeah I I I I do a stream on Twitch, you know, in addition with this uh, uh, Colin podcast, and and something that I say over and over and over again is that the people that you're listening to, you know, the people that you're watching on the screen, uh, they're they're not they're not going to lead. A movement as soon mm. as they start yeah as soon as as soon as they start like if if it's going to happen you will no longer start you will no longer see them in these no, popular avenues okay they won't. so they're not going to be on the front lines taking taking the taunt snakes <laughs> to the head yeah they're so, going to be in the comfort of their own home hugging their pets and families you know hoping and, that they won't be over and this is myself included the the greatest thing that i can do for the movement right now is go out in my local community when I'm not sitting in front of this damn computer computer, and do the work. That's, that. that's, that's all we can do. So yeah. Yeah, that's the thing is like when, when people start going into, oh, this person said this and this is so terrible and blah, 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 blah. It just turns into this uh, it's just it's a rhetorical The thing is, this is, this, is all, this is all from Twitter, but like they don't affect the metrics of, of the campaign. Like there are, there are powers that be that that really control the the the, the political space the electoral, the electoral space and they don't understand like like our our messaging our revolution messaging can be co-opted by by capitalism and therein lies the, the the problem it's like once you reach a certain point at the altar you say no i cannot do this because of that you know i could go into detail chapter and verse but like um you know what i mean it's like Twitter is just it's just uh, a contest of just woke scolding and hypocrisy burning, and I'm like I don't I don't see any 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 networking. I don't see any any discourse on how to how to bring people together. I just see, you know, it's it's a sporting contest, a sporting event. Yeah, no, I mean that's largely why myself and Karthik are doing the show. 
was because we wanted to be able to highlight artists, you know, that are making music and doing things in their community uh, that that are actually like grounded in changing material conditions for the positive, that are grounded in educating people and the things that they need to know. And it's like not being apologetic if sometimes it sounds like he's rap like people are rapping a, a Wikipedia article. But that seems like <laughs> You know, for a lot of people, which I don't think I'm going to be breaking any brains here, Immortal Technique sounds dope. You know, for a lot yeah. of people, Napoleon the Legend, Nejman Nefertiti, uh, Seema Lee that we just had on, like, these people sound dope. Mariah Parker, Linkwood Franco, they sound dope. And, like, getting that, at, getting them more spread, getting them more love, actually just talking about people who are doing good things and uplifting their community, you know, that's what that's you know it's important to talk about those things uh so that we get more engaged with it you know and that's yeah that's one of the things it's like when you start seeing the twitter stuff like all i see is wwe right i feel like i'm back on the couch when i'm a kid and it's fucking nwo wolfpack you know what i'm saying and then like okay then the other side starts coming out the music starts playing it's a ladder match this time. You know what I'm saying? Nah, That's all nah. you got to see when you start seeing this Twitter back. All right, guys. Uh, uh, thanks for taking my call. Got to run. Yep. Uh, good, good show. Yeah, thanks. Great call. After after you run, too. Word, and thank you so much. Yeah, we're going to close it out here because uh, I got to go and eat some dinner. But, Trevor, thank you so much for your time and appreciate it. I think we had a really, really great conversation. I enjoyed uh, uh, speak with you. So, thank yeah, you. Like, thank you so much. Likewise, likewise, I really enjoyed uh, being here, and I also like that you have a pretty cool audience. You know, because some places I go on, uh, the host would be cool, and the audience would be like some freaks. <laughs> this is a very great. This is a very great audience. I, I, guess, oh, I like um, the audience yeah. you have here. They're freaks, but just not not in the chat. <laughs> Good freak. <laughs> <laughs> All right, y'all. Well, thank you so much for listening and hanging out. Um, I think we'll, we'll be back next Wednesday uh, for the next episode of Revolutionary Checks. But until then, we are out.